Okay, why don't you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 10 this morning. Okay, let's read together. Uh, the topic of my sermon this morning is, this is our last in our series on who we are in Christ. In Christ we are victorious. In Christ we are victorious. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. Interesting, isn't it? You think your problem is people. You got a much bigger problem than that. But against rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when it comes, you may be able to take your stand or stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to be found standing. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. I'm not going to go into heavy detail. I'm not going to try to describe what all of this is, what all of the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places means. I know this. I know that it is substantial and intimidating. And I know that this text promises us victory in that setting. And so, as we ended last week in Romans 8, the Word of God gave us a promise. It said that in all these things, all of the struggles that we face, we are hyper conquerors in Christ. Paul puts it in the King James, we are more than conquerors in Christ. We are more than champions in Christ. We are more than, than the types of successes that we look at on this planet. That the Blessings that Christ has secured for us through the cross and the gospel. They are more than, they are not worthy to be compared with the successes and victories of this age. And so I, I read that in Romans 8 and it forces me to roll over to this text that talks about how we are protected by God and how we finally experience and enjoy victory in Christ in a way that is absolutely incredible and encouraging. And my aim this morning is that, that you would leave here this morning with a greater degree of confidence in the potential of your life as a believer. 
that you would realize that I can do things that are far beyond my human capacities. I can be more than a conqueror because of Christ. And I hope that your heart can go away today saying, you know what, God, I have been living in fear. I have been living in intimidation. I have not been counting Christ into my life and accessing and claiming and knowing what he has accomplished for me. And so I'm walking around in a a bit of a dark cloud with a wet blanket over my life. I need to be freed by the promises of God. I need to remember that in Christ I am secure, Romans 8. But in Ephesians 6, I am victorious. He has already achieved and accomplished something for you that is so much more than you could ever accomplish on your own. And that should move our hearts in his direction with deep and profound gratitude and worship. As Paul begins this text, verse 10, he says, finally. Sounds like the end of a sermon, right? But it's still going to go on for a while. Paul says, finally, meaning this. Chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Ephesians talk about all that is ours in Christ. Two times in chapters 1 to 3, Paul burst into these prayers that run 6 to 8 verses each. What is he talking about? He's talking about the power and the knowledge of God's glory and the love that comes to us in Christ, his, his selection of us, his joy in us, power, all these things. He just goes on and on. He just burst into prayer in the middle of talking about deep theological issues. Chapters 4 to 5, what does he do? He rolls into a walk worthy of the Lord. Take the theology of chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians and put them into practice, chapters 4 through 5. Walk worthy of the calling that God gave you as his child. When he gets into chapter 6, verse 10 particularly, he starts to talk about how we work out that gospel. How we work out that salvation in our daily life. And he's going to just get very practical and encouraging for us as his children. So verse 10 This directive, and it's fascinating. Finally, be strong in the Lord. But the words, be strong, are in the passive. Because you would say, okay, Paul's saying, you know, man up, woman up. Okay, it's not what he's saying. He's saying, rest in Christ. Be strong in the Lord. Literally, be made strong in the Lord. You know what that requires? That requires surrender on our part to the power of God that is working in us by the Spirit. So that we don't say, okay, oh, you mean I just need to be tougher. I need to be more resilient. I need to make stronger decisions. No, you need to trust God more. Be made strong in the Lord. Passive. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Then verse 12, he comes back to it again. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, so man up, be strong in the Lord, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. What is Paul implying? Number one, and this is the first thought I want you to kind of focus on this morning. First thing Paul does is he describes the nature of Christian living. What is it like to be a believer? Here's the way Jesus summarized it. He said to his disciples, John 15, he said, in this world, you're going to have struggles. You're going to have tribulations. You're going to experience difficult times because you are living in light in a world that is bent or inclined towards darkness. The nature of Christian living is that we are in a long-term battle for truth and battle for righteousness. So the idea of struggle here is not 
It's not the word that we would think of two armies clashing on a battlefield. It narrows down and focuses on individuals in the battle line who are locked and engaged in hand-to-hand combat where trickery and skills are being used to take down the opponent. It's hand-to-hand. It's, it's that idea of, of wrestlers locked, swaying back and forth like the heavyweights do. Okay, they're, just, they're locked in this struggle, looking for a moment to grasp an ankle or to flip someone, roll them, take them. That's the nature of Christian living. Our struggle. Paul says this is part of my life and it's part of your life. You and I are locked in a formidable struggle. That in verse 12, I'll just say this about all of this, that it's not against flesh and blood. Okay? What do most of us think? When we're struggling in our marriage, what do we think? My problem is who? Him. Okay, thank you, Angel. Once again, I appreciate your honesty. How many, I have never had someone come to me and say, you know, Pastor, we're having really serious struggles in our marriage. And I was wondering if you could help us. You know, the real problem is me. Never had that happen. Can I be honest and say this? That's one of the saddest observations I can make as a pastor of counseling ministry. You know what Paul says? Your struggle. Your problem is not your mate. Your problem. Danny and I have been talking about this. Your problem is not your coworker. Problem is not your fellow teacher. Problem is not the administration. But we all think it is. You know what we end up doing? We end up expending all of our energy fighting each other. And we have taken our eye off the ball. And here's the way that Paul describes it a number of times in the New Testament. He says, when you do that, you give the evil one a foothold. You give him a base of operation. You give him the beaches of Normandy in the battle. How? How slick of him, okay, to manipulate our thinking, to think that you're my problem. When he's our problem. So your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against. And Paul goes just into various categories. Against rulers. And these are all general. Okay. So when people try to pick this all apart. Make words mean certain things. I get a little skittish. Because what is he doing? He's painting a picture. A supernatural picture. Of all that is arrayed against us. And he's using human words to describe things that you can't describe. So it, it's almost a, this kind of a, of a pictorial of this massive array that is coming against you so that we would say, okay, God, I can't do that. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, doesn't he? We're not adequate for these things. We can't handle this on our own. That's where God wants us to be so that then we fall in reliance upon him and say, God, you must help me in this battle. I can't do it. So verse 12 is meant to do what? It's meant to intimidate you. So that you will say, I can't do that. I can't handle that. And you will fall on God and say, God, please fill me, empower me. And the spirit of God is like taking a, I recently bought a a drill because I'm working in my basement. Okay. And that drill, I pulled out and pulled the trigger and nothing's working. All right. And you stick this thing called a battery in it. All right. And what happens? It's got so much torque. You hit it and your hand kind of twitches and you're like, that's cool. Okay, 
that drill without the battery is meaningless and expensive. Okay? Many of us as believers try to live, we try to drive screws without the battery in the drill. And we find ourselves ineffective. What is God saying? Accept my resources to you by the Spirit in this supernatural, formidable struggle that is normative for the Christian life. God doesn't save us and take us out of here. God saves us and empowers us to experience victory in His name here and now. This struggle is formidable and it is perpetual. 1 Peter 5, you remember the verse where Paul says, the evil one goes about like what? A roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He does not rest. He is restless. And what does he do? He seeks opportunities in people that think their problem is their mate or their coworker or their fellow teacher at school or their friend at church. He looks for a way to plant a foot to leverage against you your false thinking about the real battle. So the battle first, the nature of it is that it is a hand-to-hand combat. We are locked in a struggle. <clears throat> Question, do we still believe this stuff? About the evil one who arrays himself against the church and against the people of God and against righteousness? Do you believe it? It'll make you very unpopular. C.S. Lewis made this observation. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive interest in them. Okay, so the word balance starts to come to mind in this struggle. The problem isn't just the evil one. The problem is also me and my fleshly tendencies. James 4.1 says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Don't they come? F-? James doesn't say they come from Satan. Now, you know what James says? Don't they come from your desires that wage war in your members? You lust and you desire and you can't have. So you fight and you argue and, right? That's what James says. To overcome that battle, I need the help of the Spirit. My flesh is strong. My desire for what I want is overwhelming at times. And apart from the power of the Spirit of God, I fail. If you don't believe that, there's a witness over here. Her name's Ruth. Be aware of the fact that Satan is a strong influence, but do not obsess over him. Be aware, as Jesus said to Peter and his disciples, be alert. Stay awake spiritually. It is important for us to focus more on what Jesus did and the victory that he provided than for us to focus on the evil one. Know he's there. Know he is a defeated enemy. And there's a debate that goes on about this in the spiritual realm, right? In terms of how does Satan affect people? Can he possess a Christian? Let me make these two observations for you. Number one, I believe, is this. Satan cannot own you. Okay, he can't own you. Which is to say... That you have been, in your salvation, transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. You are God's child. You are, as we talked a year ago, you are adopted by the grace and power of God. So he can't own you. However, now whether he can possess you, people go on and on about this. Okay, here's what I do know. 
I know that he can influence us. Okay, I know that he can influence us. Now, how you want to define that word, that's up to you. But I know I am warned in Scripture to be aware of, in this text, he calls it the devil's schemes. So what are schemes? Schemes are strategies to accomplish your purposes in the lives of other people. It's strategic planning to get what you want out of other situations and other people. Satan has strategic plans for your spiritual destruction. And that's what this text is saying. Be strong in the Lord because someone is arraying himself against you. And that someone is defined in words in verse 12 that to capture your attention and cause you to say, God, so fill me and strengthen me that I can face this successfully for your glory. Paul would say in the book of 1 Corinthians, we are not ignorant of his strategies. What are they? Temptation. Seducing to various sins, deceitful teaching that sounds close to the Bible, but is woefully inaccurate. Imitating God's work through false miraculous signs, proclaiming false gospel and false religion, bitterness and unforgiveness. Ephesians 4 is a foothold for Satan to gain control of your life. False and condemning thoughts that torment your mind. False miracles, condemnation, accusation, and attacking your identity through false and condemning thoughts that's what satan wants to do he wants to strip you of who you are in christ and cause you to think that you have not been and cannot be forgiven so we prepare and this text shows us how and the verse that just echoes in my mind is i think of the influence of the evil one because sometimes you got to boil this down and say you know what this isn't that complicated you don't need a pastor who can unpack all the nuances of verse 12 Here's what you need to do. James 4, 7. James said, resist the devil. And what happens? He will flee. Is that not encouraging? Don't resist him in your own strength. Resist him in the power that God provides. And he will flee. It's in the name of Christ, folks. That victory over this formidable opponent can be found. Remember that. The nature of your life tomorrow morning or when you get in your car driving home. The nature of your Christian experience is it is a struggle because I live in contested territory. Secondly, this text drives at the importance of daily preparation. Verse 13. And this is the outcome of this. You're, you're in this battle, this struggle. Verse 12. Be strong in the Lord. Verse 10. Therefore. And this is. How, how, do I, how do I stand in this struggle? How do I find victory in this area where I think it's them, but it's really that evil one, okay? How do I, how do I gain victory? And this text says that the, the answer to that is found by putting on the full armor of God. Now, why does Paul in verse 11 begin by saying, put on the full armor of God? And then he talks about why the battle. And then verse Verse uh, 13, he comes back and says the same thing again. Therefore, put on the armor of God. Why? Because it's likely that most of us missed it. Put on the armor of God. Here's the opponent. Now, therefore, in light of that description of what you're again, up against, put on the armor of God. So the idea of this list of, of, of armor, pictures of armor that we're to put on, the idea of it is preparation. It's preparing for battle in a way that breeds confidence in the one who is filling you. I am always uh, humored by little kids that run around in football suits, okay? I love seeing a little kid that's probably 45 pounds 
putting on you know, shoulder pads that are wider than my shoulders as a grown man. And they start bouncing around the field. Honestly, they don't need that much protection at that age. Okay, but when they put that stuff on, guess what happens to them? They think they're all that, right? Why? Because they feel protected. Okay, they feel protected. And when you feel protected, you gain confidence. What is the purpose of this text? Put on the armor of God. Be strong in it. Let him strengthen you. So that you can what? Four times in this text. So you can stand. Because what do we get discouraged with? I fell again. I fell again, right? And what is he saying? Do this in him so you can stand. That's the result. That at the end of the, the day that was difficult, you'll be standing for the cause of your Savior. So be strengthened as God strengthens you and put on the whole armor of God. Two times it's stated in the text. Now I'm going to move in two directions with the armor. The armor is, in one sense, offensive, and in one sense, it is defensive. In one sense, it is protective. In one sense, it talks about standing ground and taking ground. It moves in two directions. Let's first of all look at this idea of defensive armor that has as its aim to protect. He talks about the helmet, the breastplate, the shield. This idea is to protect vital organs, vulnerable parts of the physical body as a picture of the vulnerable parts of our spiritual life. Truth. Why? Why is truth so important? Why is it the sword of truth and the belt of truth? Okay, because we live in a world that says there are no absolutes. It really doesn't matter how you live in terms of your morality sexually. You just do what you want and satisfy yourself. And the evil one gains a foothold in the life of believers. And we live casually towards sexuality or we simply fall. Take the sword of truth and take the belt of truth so that with it you can defeat the lies of the evil one who binds us in fear. Secondly, and this is just the other one I want to emphasize. He says take the shield that is called what? It's called faith. Which is the picture of what? It's the picture of trust. Take the shield that says, God, I trust you. Where's the analogy come from? Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52 that talks about God being a shield. The Psalms talks about God being a shield about us. In Isaiah 52, God says to his people, I will bring you out. I will protect you. And I will be your rear guard. I'm not worried usually about what I can see. I'm usually worried about what's going on back there that I don't know. It's like the teacher at the chalkboard in the class and they know something's going on. What they're worried about is not what they're writing on the board. What they're worried about is what they can't see. You know what God says to us? He says the evil one is going to launch assaults against you. Take up the shield of faith. And with it, what do you do? You take the schemes of the evil one. And the idea is of, this, of this battle shield was that it would, it would accept arrows and extinguish them. The fiery darts of the evil one, the doubts, the torment, the thoughts of failure, the bringing up of past things that you've already been forgiven for. He wants to bind you in those things and hold you in a prison of fear and doubt and guilt and destroy your faith. Here, faith is the internal conviction about who I am in Christ that leads to bold action. We are protected from the assaults of the evil one. He is a defeated enemy, though he is still very very active. Offensive weapons. Let me just pick on 
two of these. Offensive weapons aim to assist us in advancing the cause that we've been called to. That's what offensive weapons are about. There are two things here that I think are about offense. I think the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace is meant to say that we gain traction as we walk forward in the gospel. We gain a firm footing. We are able to stand our ground. That's exactly what Paul's saying. This armor is about you being able to be confident in the footing that you're on. Now, I've been in situations where I've been very uncomfortable because the nature of the turf that I'm on, I didn't know if I could hold my ground, nature of the shoes I had on, etc. Okay? A few weeks back, took my wife out to go shooting. I don't know if this was a mistake or not, but what should you start off with? Let's try the 12-gauge shotgun. Why not? So put a 12-gauge shotgun in my wife's hands. And I apologize for doing that. So she's aiming at the target, and, and she's standing, seriously, she was standing like this with her feet together and kind of like afraid of it going off as a loving husband, okay? I made the right decision in this moment. I said to her, say, honey, spread your feet and get footing because you're going to experience something that may not like me after it happens. <laughs> so she spread her feet apart. And let, she let her rip, and I got a video if you want to see it. I don't think she would mind if I show it to you. It was a glorious response. But I'm going to tell you this. It, my wife weighs all of 115 pounds. See, when your wife weighs that much, you can say it in public, okay? Not to get in trouble when you get home. It rocked her, but it didn't move her. You know why? Because she gained footing before she engaged in battle. Now, if I had done what in my heart I wanted to do, I just kind of wanted to see what would happen and I'll catch her, okay? That thing would have blown her over. Why? Because if you don't prepare, you don't set your feet for battle. Okay, you're going down. You know what God says? In the gospel, I have given you sure footing. And I have given you traction. And I have given you confidence. The devil seeks to destroy and steal that from you, doesn't he? You have this happen where he brings up your past failures. You ever wake up at night? But those thoughts that torment and that contempt. You know what you need to do? You need to take the gospel of peace and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of your salvation and arm yourself for that battle and declare in the name of Christ truth that has set you free. Truth that you can take no credit for. But truth that has come to you by the grace of God in Christ. So that you can what? So that you can stand. Because you know what Satan wants to do with all those thoughts that he hammers you with, those influences? He wants to disable you. He doesn't want to destroy you. He just wants to render you ineffective. To scare you enough that you're like all the rest of Israel, standing back on the battle lines, and one man believes that God is enough. One boy. Who went out and gained traction. Because he believed that the God who had called him is the God who could rescue him in that battle. What's your battle? How's your footing? Are you taking time to prepare for the battle that is the Christian life? Whether you and I are conscious of it or not. I love the last thing Paul says. He says, you know, put on the whole armor of God. And then he says, and what? Verse 18. What's it say? And. None of you see it. And what? 
and pray. And pray. Because on a battlefield, you know what the most important thing is? Communication. And strategy. So that the evil one doesn't outwit us. Paul says, raise the time that you spend in prayer. This communication with God. This walkie-talkie on what John Piper calls the battlefield of life. Is prayer. It's how we connect with God. It's how we talk to Him about the struggles and about the fears and about the concerns and about the guilt. And all the things that array against us. And I, the part of this passage that stuck out to me about five years ago is verse 19. Paul says, with this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then verse 19, he says this. Pray for me also that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Now here's what blows me away. The Apostle Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, what? I am counting on you to pray for me so that I can do what God's called me to do. After how many years? Probably 20 years of public service. And what is the Apostle Paul saying and admitting? He's saying, I need you to pray for me so that I will fulfill the call of God in my life. And I love what he says in the next verse. He says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Folks, can we be honest? We live in an age that when it comes to the gospel of peace, the sword of truth by which we communicate Jesus Christ to the nations, we have a tendency not to be bold and emphatic with the gospel. We have a tendency to share the gospel. Now, I'm not saying be rude. But I think it can honestly say from the word of God that if you share the gospel with reluctance and with apology, you're not sharing the gospel. In Romans 1 verse 16, here's what Paul said. Paul said, I just picture Paul standing and saying this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. So I refuse to share this. I will declare this. With conviction. And folks, I'm, not, I'm saying this. When God opens a door, when he begins to set a crack in someone's heart and begins to move and work and you sense it, don't share. Declare. Proclaim the truth of the gospel of Christ. Without hesitation, without apology, without your qualifications to make you look good. Without trying to excuse God for things that you can't explain. Tell people the truth fearlessly. And so Paul said, pray for me that when God opens the door and there is a chance to speak of Christ, the glorious gospel that prepares our feet and covers our head and gives us righteousness and protects our life. When you have a chance to share that, don't back down. Okay, declare it fearlessly, all of it, as you should. So that people have an opportunity to experience the life change that comes through the gospel. The last thing that I think emerges from this text, this preparation for boldness, prayer. And I think that 
implies this is at the beginning of your day, at some point along the way towards the beginning of your day, you're connecting with God and saying, God, help me today in the struggle to be bold and to be true. And please understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying go out there and slice people up. I'm saying when you sense God opens the door, step through it and do it. Do it like a doctor communicating to someone that they have a terminal illness. And if they want to laugh it off, turn it up. So that they know what they're facing is in dead earnest. An eternal truth that God aims to change their life with. Folks, you can't, you can't share that. The doctor doesn't, when you come into the doctor's office and there's a strong diagnosis, he doesn't share with you. He tells you the truth. And that truth can save your life. Don't share the gospel. Please understand what I'm saying. Declare it. If God has changed your heart, let people know how he did it. And don't be reluctant. As you communicate this which changes lives and guard your feet and your, all of you. This text gives us a promise, and this is where I want us to end. There is a promise. And the promise is, I, I just in my notes called it the gift of assurance. Do this so that you can stand your ground. Two words are used. One is this idea of holding your place. The other is the idea of standing against, which is, which is to overtake and resist. Okay, it's not just standing. It's standing and moving forward. That's what we draw up in battle lines for. And may God, as, as this text says, if you do this, verse 11, you put it on, you can stand. Verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, that day that tests your faith and that, pull, that calls for everything that God has given to you, that power that plugs in, on that day, you can stand. And when you stand, you're going to step back and say, I didn't do that. I couldn't do that. God helped me to stand in a day that I thought would take me and then what happens? All the praise and glory goes to him. It's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 prayed this prayer. He says, and this, this is Nicole, he begins in chapter 1 praying for them. He ends in chapter 6 asking them to pray for him. Because that's what Christian friendship is really all about. It's what community is about. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards those who believe. That is, he inclines himself to you in powerful ways so you can stand. Paul says, I want you to know that that power is in accordance with, it is like the mighty working of his strength which he bought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And I think that is an exegesis of verse 12 of chapter 6. It is all that Christ is over through his resurrection that he is giving us victory over for his glory. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I got a call on Friday from a friend within our church family about a lady in our church family who was facing termination at her job because she invited someone to church.
I knew right away who the person was talking about. And I was not surprised that this person was standing in grace for truth. And said to me without hesitation, if I lose my job over this, I'm okay. I was, I was studying this. And I was like, so that when the day comes, you can stand your ground. And folks, this idea of going into battle always requires cost and self-sacrifice and preparation. Always. Always. I fear that we live in an age that does not have tolerance for sacrifice, for cost counting and Christ following. I fear that. I fear that we don't experience much pressure because we don't proclaim the gospel of Christ boldly. We share. Because we don't want to deal with the consequences. So we have perfected sharing Christ in a way that brings no tension, that causes no friction. Because this idea of declaring it fearlessly as I should is not part of how we operate. We have become very postmodern. We're sharing a way to heaven when there is only one way to heaven, and that's Christ, who has changed us and who has fitted us for victory by the power that he so gloriously and powerfully makes available. And Paul says to his people in the church in Ephesus, he says, I pray that you will know this. Why? Because Paul could say, that is what is sustaining me every day. You are victorious in Christ. If you know him, the gospel has changed you and has changed your future. It reaches into your entire past and forgives you. And it reaches into your entire future and secures you. Martin Luther said this, the reformer. He said, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, and I think from the text we've looked at today, it will. We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Thus ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord of the ages, his name, Sabbath. From age to age to sing. And he must win the battle. I ask you this question this morning. Is your Christian experience like a vacation? Looking for highs and enjoyment? And, or is it a battle? Do you see what's arrayed against you? Or are we distracted by the pleasures of this life? May God help us in the struggle and in the conflict, having done everything that we're called to do, to be found standing. Standing in the gospel of Christ. Declaring his name until the day that he comes. Would you pray with me this morning?